Hallelujah. So I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give you my title. After you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, the single most important thing you can learn to do as a believer is learn to walk by faith. After you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, there is nothing more important that you can learn to do than live by faith. You say, I can learn to love. Nope, because we love by faith. I can learn to give. Nope, because we give by faith. No, I can learn to forgive. No, we, we, give, we forgive by faith. The single most important thing that a believer can learn how to do is to walk by faith. And the challenge for many of you is that you're doing a lot of good stuff, but it ain't by faith. You're doing a lot of good stuff based on your credit score, based on your intellect, based on what your doctor said, based on what you think, based on your path. But it's not by faith because faith starts where the will of God is known. This is a place if you would go, someone was going to be on the test, this would be on the test. Faith starts where the will of God is known. It's why um, Fred Price, Dr. Fred Price taught a message years ago, and it was called Faith, Foolishness, or Presumption. And a lot of times you're disappointed because you think that you're in faith, but you're not in faith. So let me give you an example of what faith looks like. Let's say you're at work tomorrow and your car breaks down, and you decide that I'm going to come pick you up. And so you spend the day confessing, Sean Strickland is going to come pick me up. And then you get off work, and I'm not there. And then you go, I can't believe Sean Strickland let me down. The problem is you had a thought and a hope and a presumption. You did not have a word. I did not tell you I was coming to pick you up. That is why it is imperative for you to read your Bible yourself so that you can know yourself what God said. Because you can't live your life off of what grandma got breakthrough on. You cannot live your life off of Kristen's testimony or Pastor Ellen's testimony. You need to get the word for yourself because the Bible says it will anchor you. The only reason you need an anchor is if wind is going to come and try to move you. So what the Bible tells us is it tells us three times. It says the just shall live by faith, not good works, not going to Sunday school, not how many times you go to church, not how respectful you are, not how excellent you are. The just shall live by faith. And when I begin to live by faith, then my character gets better. Then I eat better. Then I do the things I need to do. Then I give. Then I fast. But if I'm doing it without faith, in fact, this faith thing is so serious that in Romans 14 and 23, it says anything that is not born of faith is sin. So literally, if you take $100 out of your pocket and give it in the offering and the Lord told you to give 150 he said that's sin because it wasn't based on a word from me. It may have been a good deed, but we're not called to live by good deeds. We're called to live by faith. Say, I live by faith. So my title this morning is I dare you to believe God. How many of you grew up and you have done some things because somebody dared you. Somebody say, I remember that one time. I dare you to believe God. No, I dare you to believe God. In any situation, most of you, you've gotten indignant and done stupid stuff because somebody dared you to do something. Look, kids, I dare you to eat this mud. I double dog dare you. And I almost ain't nobody in this room who walking away from a triple dog dare. You just not going. You just can't. So let's talk about what a dare, what it means to dare. To dare means to have the courage to do something. So I dare you to have the courage to believe God. Courage is the strength in the face of pain and adversity. It's not just about sickness. It's about nobody wants to be disappointed. It's amazing when God tells you, oh, you know, I'm going to do this in your life this year. And you're like, my life doesn't look anything like that. So then he says, I dare you to believe me even when it doesn't look like it. And then because people like to self-protect, 
what they do is they start downsizing their dreams and downsizing their vision, saying, well, it's okay. You know, I mean, if, the, if, if, if I don't get full healing, I just, I feel better. You know, if, 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 if I don't make, you know, I know the Lord said that I would make six figures, but you know what? I make more than my parents ever made before. So, you know, if, 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 I, don't, if I don't get there, it's okay. But I'm daring you to have courage in the face of everything that is trying to tell you that you cannot have what God already said is yours. Because there will be adversity. I will do you a disservice to tell you that there won't be adversity. But the adversity is easy when you know who gave you the word. So let's look at Mark 9 and 23. Tell your neighbor, say, I dare you to believe God. It says, Jesus said to him, what do you mean if? If you are able to believe all things are possible to the believer it does not say all things are possible it says all things are possible the king james says to those who believe so what breaks the barrier between possible and impossible is the person who chooses to believe god so literally when someone says something like i can't believe i could ever live in a place like that bam you got it because all things are possible to the believer and because you can't believe it you can't believe it and because you can't believe it, you can't receive it. That's why you ought to be careful about saying, I couldn't imagine myself. Because a part of what God uses to transform our life is our imagination. Exposure is part of what accelerates us. So God will take you from where you are and let you see something that you've never seen before to ignite your heart to a possibility that you didn't even know existed. Here's one of my favorite testimonies. I grew up in the country. I didn't grow up in a subdivision. I grew up in a country where people kept their dolls on a chain. I grew up in a country where people, um, if their car broke down, they could leave it there. Sometimes the dogs slept in it in the wintertime. And everybody just kind of managed their own yard. And then we bought our first house in a subdivision, say subdivision. And a subdivision exposed me to something else. It exposed me to that everybody's neighborhood, everybody's yard just wasn't their own that your yard became a reflection of who you were. So I grew up in a, in a neighborhood where people mowed their yards when they wanted to. But in a subdivision, it exposed me to the fact that not only do people mow their yards, but they treat their grass. And people get landscaping. They don't let Arkansas vines. I'll never forget the first time, the first time we brought the landscaper over and we this big, we were like, what's this? He's like, oh, that's just an Arkansas weed. We had seen those. You know, growing up, I said this to Ellen the other day, you know those little white things that was in the grass that you took in blue? You didn't even realize you was weeds and you was just putting more weeds in your parents' yard, just spreading them all over. You thought you out there. Just spreading it all over the yard. But exposure lets you know that everybody ain't living with a dog on a chain. And everybody not keeping broke cars. Hoping that um, the mechanic go come by and be able to put it back together one more time. Exposure is designed to elevate. That is why when you have a raggedy marriage, the first thing you ought to find is somebody who got a good marriage. Because if you find somebody and you have a good marriage and you start watching how they interact with each other, you like, oh, I want some of that. Oh, they like each other. <laughs> and then you start being honest and you start saying, I don't feel that way. I would like to feel that way. And then you start getting exposed, finding out what people, one of the things that changed our marriage is I don't know how long we have been married five years, five, six years, and we had an opportunity. We were invited to spend a, a night with some friends. We had been married five or six years, and all of them at that time had been married 15 to 20 years. And after we ate, they said, we're going to divide the men and the women up because we want to talk to y'all about some stuff. 
and they began to talk to us. We didn't know they were talking to us about the same thing, but they were talking to us about one of the components of having a happy marriage is to have a heart to outserve your spouse. Because if I work on taking care of his needs and he works on taking care of my needs, all our needs will be met. And they talked about how most marriages, even if they stay married, never get to that level of happiness because you never get concerned about taking care of somebody else's needs. All you think about is what, how your needs aren't being met. And then exposure begins to elevate your expectation of marriage. And then the next time you feel like you aren't getting your needs met, you do a need check. Have I supplied some needs? I mean, he don't never bring me water before he go to bed. Well, when's the last time I brought water? I think it's important to understand that God wants to use your imagination to elevate your life. So I don't care if you're, not, if you're an hourly employee right now making $9.50 an hour. When pastor begins to say it is the will of God for you to make over $100,000, you got to be like, well, who do I know who made over $100,000? How are people elevating like this? How are people getting like this? And I just want to parenthetically insert, if you go, I don't need to make $100,000. I mean, oh, that was good. Yeah, that was good. I felt that. Did you feel that? I took that. I take that. I take that. I took that. Some of y'all didn't take that because you said, I don't need that much money. If you don't need that much money, you're selfish. If you don't need that much money, you're selfish. We got a, um, in the prayer team the other day, we got a message from Chandra who talked about one of her sorors who was sending four private planes to the Bahamas to rescue people. She was sending her planes. See, because what you may not have known is that the, that, the, that the public airport was underwater, but the private airport wasn't. And so she said, it's some sewers down in the Bahamas that need to get home, so I'm going to send my four planes. I know, but you just think you need one car and don't want to let nobody ride in that. So when you get to thinking about, wait a minute, four planes... I don't, I, what she need four planes for to send people to the Bahamas, to get people from the Bahamas? Because if you ain't got nothing, you can't help nobody. So I dare you to believe God. He says all things are possible to those who believe. So the difference that God is making is between those who believe and those who don't. It's not, I want you to understand this. There are things that people receive in their life not because they've done it all right, because they just won't stop believing God. And because they just won't stop believing God, he starts positioning them to have what they would not have otherwise because they chose to believe God. What they chose to say is, it doesn't matter that I came from a single-parent home, I'm still going to make $250,000 so that I can take care of my kids and help my mama out. Yes, I am. I'm going to be able to do that right there. They, be, they don't just set their limits and go, oh, my God, I'm so stressed out right here. I can't handle anymore. They're like, no, give me more because at every level that I I have more, I can give more when I have a lot of love. Let me, let, um, um, let me tell you why people irritate y'all. You don't have enough love for yourself. You don't have enough love for yourself. So when you don't have enough love for yourself, anytime somebody starts pulling on the love you got for yourself, they done got on every nerve that you have. But if your faith would grow your capacity to love yourself, then you start loving people out of your overflow and you wouldn't be so messed up about people because you would still be able to love yourself even if they weren't doing okay. So possible, able to be done within the capacity of someone or something. So what faith does is that it links you to the capacity of God. Say, my faith links me to the capacity of God. Why would I ever want to be limited to my capacity when I can access his capacity? Why would I ever want to just do what human strength can do? Why would I ever just want to go where human ability to go when I can link by faith to the capacity of God, the God who created the universe, the God who holds the planets, the, the God that they say even now the universe is still expanding and they're finding things that didn't exist. Why would I ever want to be limited by what I could see? So faith is complete trust. In someone or something. So let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, very familiar passage of scripture. 
Tell your neighbor, say, I dare you to believe God. It says, now faith, we'll read it like this and then we'll insert the defined words. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All right? Now look at this. We define faith as the complete trust and confidence in God. Now let's define substance. Substance is the essence of a thing. It says, so now your complete trust and confidence in God becomes the essence of the thing that you're hoping for. So your faith releases chemicals that begin to cause the thing that you're hoping for to begin to manifest and step into your realm. The thing that you're believing for, a happy marriage, always existed. But because you didn't have faith with it, you couldn't see it. But when you put your complete trust, some of you can't believe God for your husband to turn around because you keep looking at your husband instead of God. And wives. Some of you can't believe God for your children to turn around because you keep looking at your kids. You don't look at God. When we believed God for Jordan, the only thing we did with their report was make confessions out of it. We read every single thing they put on the report, and we used it and made faith confessions out of it. They said, Jordan will never understand sarcasm. Father, we thank you for the release of revelation knowledge so that Jordan can understand sarcasm in Jesus' name. We believe that whatever is in her synapses that keeps her from understanding sarcasm is now being supernaturally repaired. And in the natural, it may not be possible, but I'm not limited to the natural. I just linked my capacity to yours, and now we can do what we couldn't do before. Tell your neighbor, say, we're getting ready to do some things we haven't done before. So it says, now... The complete trust and confidence in God is the essential nature, the essence of the things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Keep going, verse 2, it says, For by this complete trust, the elders obtain a good report. If you want to obtain a good report, you're going to have to learn how to walk by faith. In heaven, good reports are only given to faith walkers. In heaven, you get a good report because you walk by faith. Next verse, and it begins to show us, it says, Through this complete trust and confidence in God, we understand that the worlds were framed, how? By the word of God. It is a dangerous thing to have a prophetic word and keep saying something other than the prophetic word. It's a dangerous thing for God to say to you, it's your best year yet, and you keep saying, ain't nothing changing. Because every time you say, ain't nothing changing, you're linking your capacity to doubt and unbelief. But if you would say, even though I don't see it, I don't know God to be a liar. I know him to be a keeper. I know him to be a truth teller. It is my best year yet. It says, so you understand that the world, these worlds you can see, they were framed by things which don't appear. So what you see wasn't made from what you see. How does God make anything with a word? Every time God gets ready to create something, he starts with the word. That's why whenever God gets ready to transform your life, he's going to give you a word, not a feeling. A word. He's going to give you a word. When God saw that it was dark and he wanted it to be dark, to be light, did God say, dang, it's dark out here? What did he say? He said, let there be light. The literal Hebrew translation says, and light was. So the moment that God says to you that healing is yours, it is even if you can't see it yet. Because healing is. That's why we don't say we go be healed. No, we say we are healed. We are expecting manifestation of what we already are. Ooh. 
Listen, I, I need to stick here. That is not just being funny with language. That is how faith works. The beginning of Hebrews 11 says faith is now. What faith is designed to do is to pull your future into your present. The whole point of faith is to take what is out of reach and pull it to you. Listen, if you don't get nothing else, you need to get this. That's why believers don't say we going to be nothing. We are already everything he says. We already free. We already healed. We already free from anxiety. We already have a sound mind. You it's, it's already complete. But when you keep saying we gonna, it means you're not in faith. You're waiting on something in the future that exists in the now. Faith takes God does not operate in time. Humans operate in time. So when you ask God for something, it's already done. The question is, where is it going to break through in time? I wish you would hear me. I'm not trying to hype you. I'm not trying to make you run. I'm trying to get you to understand. That's why the Bible says all of the promises of God are in him. Yes and amen. When I ask, he says yes. The only question now is when is my promise go step in the time where I can grab it? I decide that. The global things about Christianity, we don't have no control over. When Jesus is coming back. Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. So next time somebody say Jesus come back, don't even get out of bed. Just roll over, turn over, and move on. But when it comes to your personal life, God will introduce a promise to you because he's trying to bring the future into your now. And depending on your response, it's going to determine whether the thing you have been believing for shows up today Next month or 15 years from now, you still believe for the same thing because faith is now. Faith says, I so trust God that if God said dogs had six legs, I believe the moment he said it, dogs have six legs. It may take a moment before time shows it, but I believe that the moment he said it, and I'm willing to look crazy betting with God talking about six-legged dogs than to stick with you talking about four. Some of you, your dreams are six-legged dogs, and you scared to say it. So you keep talking about the four. But as long as you talk about the four, all you can get is the four. Now, faith is. Now. I put my trust in God. I'm going to show you one you understand. If you saved, raise your hand. All right. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall, shall me absolute, not future, be saved. B, conversion, referring to immediate spiritual salvation and soul sanctification takes place. It says, if you accept them as your personal savior, then you are made righteous. He didn't say you're made righteous when you start living right. He said you're made righteous when you believe in the gift that makes you right. So that is why you can get saved, still cussing and drinking and fornicating, and still be assured that God calls you righteous because you receive salvation by faith. But I know people who spend their life getting saved. I know people that because they don't believe in a now word, 
They don't believe that salvation, one of the things I absolutely love about being Baptist is that they taught us that salvation was forever. They said you cannot be snatched out of his hand. It's forever. So I would go to services and watch people get saved over and over again, and I would be confused. I'd be like, listen, what happened? The blood worked the first time. Now, you may need to live better, but the blood still works. Some of you treat your promises like this repetitive salvation. I messed up. I got to go back and start over again. I messed up. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe God ain't going to do it. I messed up too big. I blew it too much. He like, excuse me, could you come over here? You know, it's kind of like that Catholic penance thing that people do, even though you're not Catholic. I would just, this is free. It's fascinating to me, Christians who don't fast but participate in Lent. It's fascinating to me. You go observe 40 days. Uh, uh, you can talk about that next time. Uh, uh, I'm not even going down that, that rabbit hole. But it's interesting to me that people always are interested in offering God something he didn't ask for. So, God, I've been living raggedy. I haven't done what you told me to do. So for these 40 days, I'm going to give up something. He like, what I'd like you to give up is your doubt and unbelief. How about that? Because if you give up your doubt and unbelief, you can stop giving up cookies and talking about cookies for the whole 40 days that you're not eating cookies. So he says, now faith is. Say, faith is now. Say, whatever you're going to receive from God. You're going to receive it right now. You got to train yourself. When you're saying going to, you're not in faith because faith is now. Let's keep going. It says, so let's look at verse, um, verse 4. It says, by faith, by his complete trust and confidence in God, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This is for all of you who think God don't care about your giving. The first lesson in Hebrews 11 it talks to us about is how faith will make you an excellent giver. When you have confidence in God, it will cause you to make an excellent sacrifice, and that sacrifice will give you a witness that you are righteous. It's not the amount, it's the obedience. The Bible says, I love this verse right here. It says, then God began to testify about his faith. What? He brings God something that's so excellent that God starts testifying about his faith even though he's dead. What do you bring to God for him to work with? I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about when you're laying in bed. This is one of my favorite testimonies. The Lord told Kenosha to come back up here and get a job. When the Lord told Kenosha to come back here and get a job, all the teaching jobs was gone. Kenosha was sitting at home one day, and the Lord tells her to get on a certain site and look for a job. Lo and behold, guess what's there? Guess what else? She got the job. Guess what else? She still worked the job. Because there are things in your life that don't open up until you take a now step to move into what he said. You're waiting on it to look like, you like, 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 she was like, all the teaching jobs are filled. He like, look for a job. Literally, God does not deal in what's happening in your natural. God don't care nothing about what's happening in your natural. God don't look at bank accounts to give houses. God don't look at doctor reports to give healing. God don't look at age to give children. God don't look at anything but himself. He look at himself. He say, self, can we pull this off? Self say, self, we can pull this off. He said, it's yours. And now he waiting on you to say, it's mine. Hallelujah. Next verse. It says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. I want you to see this thing that is teaching us. We don't usually talk about these verses, but I want you to see something. In the verse about Abel, it teaches us about practical. It teaches us that, practice, that faith will work on your practical. It teaches you that, earth, that God does stuff in the earth realm. But when he talks about Enoch, it talks about the faith that will do supernatural stuff. So your faith should be working for both. 
I'm going to use my faith and do the thing that I'm going to do. So, for example, let me help you. If I've been diagnosed with something and the doctor says to me, here is how I need to eat and here is how I need to treat my body, I don't now say I'm in faith so I just do what I want to do. I now participate in the process and I believe that because God designed my body to heal itself, that it will naturally start to work. But anything that there's too much damage for, then supernaturally God will do the part that could not. So I, I, I try to treat my money right. But if God talked to me about a house, I don't limit what I got to what I got. I look at what he said, and I expect him to do the part that I couldn't do. Because if God told me that I'd have a house in December, but they told me my credit wouldn't be changed by February, I get to choose who I believe. Faith starts with a word from God. That's why we always asking at this church, what did he say? Sometimes you want to leave a job, you ain't been released yet. Sometimes you want to go, but you ain't learned a lesson yet. Sometimes you ain't encountered the person yet. Sometimes you haven't activated your faith yet. How do you know? You have to ask. Am I still here because you want me to be here? Am I not tapped out with this yet? Am I still here because you're trying to teach me something? Or am I still here because I'm not an active participant in what you're doing? Faith is how we actively participate with God. Let's keep going. Now, verse 6, it says, because what? Without complete trust in God, it is what? Say it like you mean it. It is impossible to do what? It's impossible to please God. Why? Read your Bibles. Read it. Why? Because when you come to God, what? You got to believe what? It's a two-part. That's why when you say dumb stuff like, if God don't do nothing else for me, I'll be satisfied. First of all, you drop dead if God didn't do nothing else for you because there wouldn't be no more air. It's false humility. It's foolishness. You got to be like a little kid. I want everything that's mine. You leave all your stuff on the table. If you want to be poor, if you want to struggle, if you want to be sick, if you think sickness is a trophy to God, take your, my sickness too. But what I want is everything that God says belongs to me. And I ain't apologizing for it. And when you begin to understand that it's complete trust and reliance on God, you don't ever have to be ashamed of how you blessed. No, because some of you hold up your blessing because you shame. Because you don't want people to think whatever you think people go think about your stuff. I always like to insert at this point, they talking about you anyway, so I just want to throw that in here. No, real talk. You know, Pastor Elwin is super salty. I mean, super shady and petty. So the other day we're having this conversation, and I'm saying to him, I'm saying to him something about people, um, people like us. You know, like we're cool people. And as he walks by, he goes, actually, everybody don't like you. I know a lot of people who don't like you. <laughs> So we're walking past each other. We're walking past. I'm like, you know, people like us. We're cool. He's like, he's like, he looks back over his shoulder. He says, actually, everybody don't like you. I'm like, what? I said, oh, well, let me give him something not to like. Because here's my theory. If you go talk about me in a shack, you can talk about me in a mansion. <laughs> you talking anyway. If you're going to talk about me when I'm on Dixon Street, I'll let you talk about me when I'm in Montego Bay. You can talk whatever you're going to do. Because you're going to do what you're going to do. And I got it all because I trust God. What I would submit is that instead of you talking about people, you find out if they trust in God and how to do what they got so you can get what they got. Amen. See? Free. Let's go. Keep going. See, some stuff just be free. It don't really be a part of the message. Let's go back to Mark 
9. It's impossible to please God because without faith, you can't please him. Faith is now. I believe him now. You get saved in the now. You get saved before you ever change your behavior. You change your behavior because you saved. You get filled with the Holy Ghost before you ever speak in tongues. You get healed before the pain ever goes away. Because it's already done. You get a new job before they call you. Now, I love this testimony. There was a girl who asked us to pray for her to get a job. She said the Lord told her that was her job. We believe God for her to get the job. They hired someone else. When she came back to Pastor Edwin, she said, what should I do? He said, did God tell you it was your job? She said, yes. He said, don't let go of your faith. In six weeks, that person had quit. They had to call her, and they paid her more money than they was originally going to pay her because she did not let go of her faith. Some of you got stuff on the table that you just walked away from. You just walked away from because a man said no. Pastor, I'm going to tell you, I don't care nothing about no man telling me no, ever. Not even him. I don't ever think he mean it. I don't really think people mean no when they talking to me. No, I, I'm so serious. I'm like, if I want something in my heart and it's not wrong, you, you're not, you may think you mean no. You don't mean no. And if you keep meaning no long enough, God will raise up somebody over you to give me my yes. You think it's arrogant. I just happen to know who my daddy is. It, that, that's mine. I don't make no apologies for what's mine. Now let's go back to Mark 9 and then I'm going to end with a story. Let's look at Mark 9, verse four, 9 through 14. I'm not going to read, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically I'm going to tell you the story. You need to read it. It's the story of how Jesus had talked to his disciples because I want you to understand this. There are things you're believing for that you're waiting on God to do when he's already done his part. So now God is waiting on you to do your part. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, he's probably waiting on you. I can't say all the time absolute because sometimes he tells you to pause. I can tell you that in a large percentage of the time, he is waiting on you. You waiting on him, but he waiting on you. He like, I did my part. And I'm tapped out till you do something else. So it says, so Jesus had the disciples, and if you go to Luke 1, don't go there. I mean, go to Luke 9. The Bible says, before we get to this situation right here, Jesus says to his disciples, he gave them power and authority over all the devils and to cure diseases. That's what it says in Luke 9, verse 1 and 2. That is before this transpires. So Jesus goes around, he's healing people. Then he calls his disciples to him one day. He says, yo. Listen, this thing you've been seeing me do, you can do it too. You can cast out devils, you can heal the sick. Matter of fact, go preach the kingdom, raise the dead, lay hands on the sick, see them recover, come back and tell me about it. They come back in Luke 9. They like, oh my God, even the de demons obey us. He said, don't be impressed by that. Be impressed that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In fact, what he's saying here is that healing sickness and devils casting out is small work. He says, getting healed is elementary work. It's basic work. He said, don't be impressed because demons respond to you. Be impressed that God does. Yeah. Yeah. So this is before that. They're super excited. They've had these victories. They've gone out. They've got all these testimonies. They got bragging rights. You know how guys do like when they tell stories and every time it gets better? I mean, like first... First, he ran for 37 yards. Then he ran for 39 yards. Then he ran for 42 yards. And then he ran for 57 yards. And by the time he's 60, he ran it all the way back, 99 yards, all the way back. So I can imagine, you know, they, they, they tell their testimony stuff. Well, we get over here in Mark. This marks the count of what's happened afterwards. And this man comes, and he has a son, and this son has seizures. And this son has seizures that make him throw himself into the fire and into the water. So he comes. To the disciples. Interesting, he doesn't wait on Jesus. Why doesn't he wait on Jesus? Because he's already heard all the testimonies about how the disciples heal too. But when they see it, they can't do nothing. 
Now, they shook because they prayed and nothing happened. I can relate to that. I feel like the first five people I prayed for died. I feel like I was like, okay, um, this isn't working here. But then Jesus comes down off of the mountain. He like, yo, what's up? They like, this dude is like, look, I brought my son. If y'all read y'all Bible like this, you wouldn't go to sleep. He like, yo, here's what had happened. What had happened was I bought my son because I heard that y'all was all hanging out here. My son had been throwing himself in the fire. I can't sleep. I'm stressed out. You see these bags under my eyes. His mama ran off and left because notice the mama didn't come. You know the mama had to have run off and left because mamas go everywhere. If your kid's doing anything with the kids, they there. She was gone. She was like, I can't take all that. That's my sanctified imagination. You tell the story how you want to. She says, um, so he says, um, he says, Jesus, can you do anything? Jesus goes, <laughs> what? Can I do anything? Wrong question, sir. Can you believe for anything? But before he gets to that point, he turns to his disciples and he says, Oh, faithless generation, how long are we going to walk together and you still don't know who you are? How many more times you going to come to church and then tell God to come down to do what he already empowered you to do? How many times you go fast for 30 days and still don't believe that healing is real? He says, oh, faithless generation. What does faith mean? Faith means complete, confident, and trust in God. He said, oh, people who don't have no trust and confidence in God. What am I even doing here with y'all? So he's dealing with his, he dealing with his regular disciples. These people are rocking with Jesus. I really can understand that. I can totally understand that. Like, the people who don't hang with me much, I get it when they don't believe in something supernatural. But the people who don't seen the behind-the-scenes stuff, when you, they, you walk with us, when I go to dinner today, I'm probably just going to say, oh, faithless generation. How much longer are we going to sit around this Sunday dinner table and you still go and live like a faith punk every single day? How much longer are we going to do this? Now, he got them over there. He pushed them to the side because, dude, like, I got a situation. He says to the dude, he's like, you know, what's up? You know, Jesus is never in a hurry. Tell your neighbor, say, Jesus is never in a hurry. And he's never in a hurry because he don't move in time. So he's in earth, but he's not moving in time. That's why he could do what he did with Lazarus. Go back and read that for yourself. So he says to the man, hey, what's up? How long? Man tells him a story. And you know when people tell stories about sickness and disease, they never tell the short version. I had a great aunt who got a pacemaker in, in 1976 when I was four. When I was 14, everywhere we went, she was still telling everybody about how they cracked her chest open, about how they put. So people don't tell, people don't tell their stories about sickness. They tell, they tell, tell that. So he says, um, what do you want me to do? He says, if you can do something, I want you to do something. Jesus said, uh-uh, wrong. Not if I can do something, if you can believe something. If you can believe something, I can do something. People go all the time, why doesn't God do such a something about so-and-so? Did you believe something? So you think it's stupid when we talk to hurricanes. We talk to hurricanes because there needs to be a sound. Because we already got the news tracking it every 30 seconds, telling us where it's coming. So somebody as a believer has to stand up and say, we preserve life in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood over life. You think it's silly, but the people who get their life saved think it's great. So you, Jesus says, so what the man says, I love this because the man's honest. Tell your neighbor, say, don't be super spiritual. The man says to Jesus, which is one of the reasons I want to also insert, it's very difficult to help church people because church people think they have mastery over what they don't have mastery over. And so they will, you will be like, you need to exercise your faith. And they will say, I am exercising my faith. And then we'll go, no, because if you was exercising your faith, you wouldn't be here worrying about how you hadn't seen manifestation. Because there's a difference between asking questions and worrying. Anytime you worry, you're not in faith. So he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
I believe, but help my unbelief. There are some people sitting in this room right now that says, I believe that you want to do my, your best life for me, but I'm not sure how. I believe, but help my unbelief. That thing set this guy up for a miracle. Jesus lays hands on the boy. When he lays hands on the boy, the boy falls down, has another seizure, and looks like he's dead. Now the man has a choice. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't even get him to fall down. You got him to fall down, but now he looked like he did. What am I going to believe? When your situation has fallen down and it looks dead, what will you believe? When it looks like there is no way out, no way to turn it around, no way to recover, no way to get a breakthrough, what will you believe? And the man was smart enough not to say anything. So then Jesus saw the crowd coming, and he thought, they're going to make it worse. So he just grabs the boy by the hand, picks him up, says, take son, go ahead. Then the disciples say to him, they say, why couldn't we do this? Now, in, in one translation, it'll say this kind comes out by, by prayer and fasting, but that fasting is an addition. It's not in the original text. It says this kind comes out by prayer. What it actually should say in the purest translation is that this kind comes out by communion with God. There are things you cannot move until you know the character of the one with the power to move it. This is not about having a prayer time where you go in the closet and pray for an hour and sweat and beg and try to rend the heavens. That's already rended, just so we clear. I'm not sure why you should be back in Joel trying to rend the heavens when Jesus rent them when he was on the cross. But it's not that. It's communion. It's fellowship. So I want to show you a practical example of what faith looks like. Can you put the picture up, Ralph? This is what faith looks like. I'm going to tell you a story. And then we're going to believe God for your life. See this picture right here? This is what faith looks like. Now, I want to walk you through it. In my whole life, I ain't never been tubing. Ever. Nor did I want to go tubing. I prefer the beach, walk in, walk out. That's kind of my thing. There's a tube. There's a rope. There's a boat. There's a man driving. There's a sea. I'm only on the tube because I trust his word. I don't know that tube. I don't know that rope. I don't know that boat. I don't know that driver, but I know him. I get in the tube because I got complete and utter confidence in him. And this is what he's saying to me as they're pulling us out. He says, hold on, but if you fall off, I'm coming for you. You won't get on the raft. You won't get in the game. You won't step in the water because you scared you go fall off. But if you had complete confidence and trust in God, you would know that even if you fell in the water, he'd scoop you back up before you could drown. I don't know this raft. I don't have no personal relationship with this raft. I don't have no personal relationship with the rope, and the rope looks skimpy to me. I don't have no relationship with the boat. Don't know the boat. I don't have any relationship with the driver or with the guy who's taking the pictures. When we get out there, they tell us, they say, if you okay, do this. If you want us to go faster, do this. If you want us to slow down, do this. If you want us to stop, do this. When we start taking off, people listen to the video. They're like, you're, you're screaming. I'm not scared. I'm laughing. Because I'm saying to him, only you could have talked me into doing this. I wouldn't have got on this raft for nobody else. But what you can't see from that picture is that the whole time that we're rafting, he's guiding me. He's telling me what's coming next. 
when he tells them to speed up, I don't trust the raft, I don't trust the string, I don't trust the boat, I don't trust the driver. I trust him. He says to me, we're going to hit these waves. Then he says to me, how you know that God has prepared you for something before you get there. He says, all those workouts you've been doing with Jimmy, you have the arm strength to hold on. All this time you've been coming to this church, you got the faith strength to hold on. So we're riding, and just about the time that I am like, okay, okay, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. He goes, and you can hear on one of the recordings that the guy says, let's see what she made of. And he starts to donut, donut, donut that thing, and it's going up and that. And he says, just hold on. But if you let go, I'm coming to get you. If you won't get in a raft for a new job with the Lord, you don't know him. If you won't get in the tube to believe for the restoration of your marriage, you don't know him. If you won't get in the tube for your healing, you don't know him. He said, but there are some things that come out, not because you hear my testimony, but because you go get your own. This is a season of testimonies. It is a season of restoration. It is a season of God putting you where you would have been if you hadn't let go. It is a season of God putting you where you would have been if you had just got on the dat gum tube. Can I tell you something? That tube was the most fun I had in Jamaica. Do you know why? Because people are created for adventure. You living the same old life, doing the same old thing, day in and out. You don't even change your Starbucks drink. You don't even change your Sonic drink. But you are created for adventure. But I got to tell you one more thing as we get ready to go. About five years into our marriage, we thought about getting a divorce. We always say realistically, the only reason we didn't get a divorce is because we had Taylor and we ain't had no money for a lawyer. But I remember the Lord said to me, I'm not asking you to trust Edwin. I'm asking you to trust me. He said, if you'll trust me, I'll so turn this thing around that what happened in the beginning of your marriage, it will seem like it happened to somebody else. I will give you days of heaven on earth. It was a decision at five years to put my complete trust in God that allowed me at 25 years to get on a tube with my complete trust in him. Faith is a walk. It's a walk. God asks you for something. Give me $50. Turn off the TV. Go back to school. Apply for this job. Forgive that person. Stop drinking sodas. Let that go. Don't move yet. Move right now. Pull the trigger. Hold your peace. Nobody can walk that journey for you but you and God. Nobody knows for all the prophetic words, even when we say it's your best life yet, we ain't got a clue what your best life look like. And can I be honest with you? You don't either. You don't either. I said to Ellen when we were on that trip, I said, God has so exceeded Anything I even had in the scope of my exposure when he asked me to trust him. I didn't even know that this could happen. 
I didn't have a reference point for it. I didn't know what it would feel like, but I knew that he was trustworthy. I want to challenge you today. I double dog dare you. If you're in this room and you're like, you know what? I know there's some things God has said to me. I want to challenge you. Some of you, God has given you businesses, but you don't work on them. That shows you don't believe for them. You can't believe that God gave you a business and you don't work on it. The act of faith is to use what you have to start what you do, to take your two fish and your loaves of bread and start breaking them and see what the Father can do. I know if you, if you say God told you you would go have a house and you're not looking at open houses and you don't have at least one box packed so you can see it that says we moving. I know that you're not really active in your faith. If you say you believe in God for your marriage to turn around, but you're not reading any marriage books, you're not trying to increase your infection, your emotional intelligence, move on from the past. You're hoping, but you're not in faith because your faith is going to challenge you to take one step. And there are some people in this room, this may not be for everybody, but I'm telling you, we are in a season of acceleration. We are in a season. And some of you are thinking, I'm just going to get acceleration while I'm sitting here chilling. You're not. You're going to get acceleration as you go, as you put your hand on it. The wind of God will get behind you and take you into places that you've never been in before. I see open doors for you. But what good is an open door when you won't get up out the seat? I heard that, but God, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if I miss you? You missed me before, I fixed it. What if I do this and it fails? You failed before and I fixed it. Why is this any different? How many of you have a dream and you have something that you know that God said? before this year was over. But you also know you need to take some steps. And you, you've used procrastination and you've used lazy and you've even said you're not really sure what to do. But the truth of it is you didn't even Google and try to find out what to do. You just sat there in your excuses. I'm double dog daring you to believe God. And if that's you, all I want you to do as an act of your faith is just come, stand, actually come. We do what we do in this church. High five. Go back to your seat. I take the dare. I take the dare. I take the dare. I believe God. What else would I do besides believe God? 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 What else is there besides believing God? What else would I do besides believe God? Who else is there to trust? Who else would I depend on? Who else would I ask? Who else can come through? Who else is faithful? Who else is holy? Hallelujah. Who else is righteous? Who else has proven that even when I mess up, they can fix it? Who else? Who else would I trust? There is no God like Jehovah. There is no God like our God. I'm moving forward. I won't be here next week. Not next year. I won't be here next week. Who else would I trust? Who else would I trust? I just want you to go into worship. Who else would I trust? 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 I may not know how to get to the nations, but he does. I may not know how to get in the boardroom, but he does. I may not know how to get my degree, my resume to translate to what he said, but he does. And I'm stepping out. Oh, that's good. We're going to read this. 
We're going to read this and then we'll be done. You can get your offering ready. This will be the offering teaching. Stay right in the vein where you are. You ought to worship the Lord. I want to tell you if this thing that you're believing for, if you can figure out how to do it before the end of the year, that ain't the thing. <laughs> if you can figure out how to do it before the year is over, that ain't the thing. The thing is the thing that you like. Even when I gather all the resources and all the people and all the stuff I know, I can't figure out how to do that one. Let's receive this. Hallelujah. I need this out of the message translation. You should just take a second. You should worship over this. See yourself. See yourself. I want you to see yourself in this place that is you, the place that you have. Um, I see it like, you know, I talked about this the last time I preached about when you were a kid. You draw the line in the sand. Literally. You have had lines that have been drawn. And the enemy and your logical thinking and your past has dared you to step over it. But I double dog dare you to step into some new territory. I see those people taking a step. No, I, I like, you can't hold me. It's like, you, it's like a little kid when they like, you can't come on this side of the playground. You can't stop me from coming on this side of the playground. There's a whole playground, guys. Let's read this out of Isaiah. It says, get out of bed. Wake up. Put your face in the sunlight. God's bright glory has risen for you. The whole earth is wrapped in darkness. All people sunk in deep darkness, but God rises on you. I want you to see the places where it seemed dark and you didn't know where the next step was, but the light of God is illuminating the step. But God rises on you. His sunrise glory breaks over you. Nations will come to your light. That's why you want to live right. That's why you don't just want to be in the spot. Because nations will come to your light. Kings to your sunburst brightness. Look up. Stop looking down. Stop looking in your account. Stop looking at your credit score. Stop looking at your past. Stop looking at what they said. Look up. So you can see. Whenever we're hiking. If it's with Seth or Edwin, they always say, look up. Look where you're going. Why? So you can see the next step to take. Watch as they gather. Watch as they approach you. Your sons are coming from great distances. Your daughters carry by their nannies. When you see them coming, you'll smile, big smiles. Your heart will swell and, yes, burst. All those people returning by sea from the, for the reunion, a, re, a rich harvest of exiles gathered in from the nation, and then the streams of camel caravans as far as the eye can see. Young camels of nomads in Midian and Ephah pouring in from the south and from Sheba, loaded with gold and frankincense, preaching the praises of God. Yes, a great roundup of flocks from the nomads of Kedar and Nebeth. Welcome gifts for worship at my altar as I bathe my glorious temple in splendor. I love this because what he's saying, he's saying when God gives you a dream, the dream that he gives you draws people first. And then it draws abundance. That's why you have to say yes so you can draw the people. And with the people come the abundance. Many of you have been chasing the abundance and not the purpose. And that's why the abundance eludes you. But if you would step into your purpose, the people come and the abundance comes. But I love this. It says in verse, in the next verse, verse 80, it says, What's that we see in the distance? A cloud on the horizon like doves darkening the sky. Now think about this. This is the second time we've seen this illustration in Scripture. The first time is when it's getting ready to rain 
rain with Elijah. And he says, he says, it's getting ready to rain. Tell me what you see. He says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. Tell your neighbor, say, don't get discouraged because it looks like a fist. You need to keep looking. You need to keep looking because it won't be long now. It may it, it keep looking because it won't be long now. And the fact that you can see a fist is proof that the abundance is coming. Stop stopping because all you see is a fist. Whoo. It's shipped from the distance lands. We're going to stop right here. The famous ships. If you know anything about Tarshish ships, they carry wealth. There is wealth that's coming to your life, and I don't just mean financial wealth. I mean wealth of joy in your life. Wealth of financial freedom. Wealth of health. Wealth of peace of mind. It's coming for you. But you got to praise like it's already pouring rain on your head. I may be able to only see a fist of cloud, but I'm going to dance like the rain is already here. Father, we thank you and we give you praise. We thank you that you care about every area of our life. We thank you that you have not left anything to chance. We thank you that even the fragments have been gathered up. Even the pieces that we thought we lost, you're bringing them back and connecting them and making them one piece. We thank you for the resurrection of dreams. We thank you for courage to believe you. We thank you that even on this week, wisdom and pieces, pieces will be brought to you. I speak that over your life. This week, pieces, connections, divine revelations. Pieces, connections, and divine revelations coming to you now. Broken pieces, things you didn't understand, things that seemed dark. Aha moments where the pieces come together. We declare this is our best year yet. And we give him glory and praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.